Well, good morning, everybody. How are you today? All right, all right, all right. My name is Danny Rivers, and I am the senior pastor of LifePoint Church in San Antonio. I am not Pastor Mitch Rose. If you're going, where is Pastor Mitch? He is doing a very biblical thing today. The Bible says to give honor to whom honors do. And a pastor of his, a pastor of mine as well, who, who uh, Pastor Mitch worked for in Austin, Texas, is celebrating 30 years of pastoral ministry in Austin. And so Pastor Mitch, along with several other uh, folks that worked there, are there honoring him. And uh, he asked me a couple of weeks ago if I could come, and I was happy to do that. Um, pastor Mitch and Brandy are very, very good friends of ours and have been for many years. And, and I just want to say this, just as an outsider, um, and I don't know if I'm an outsider or not because I love the family of, of City Hills, and, and I've been here before. As a matter of fact, in the fall, I got to, to, to do some coaching with the interns here, which, by the way, those 10 or 12 uh, young adults that were in that room were just awesome. I don't know if you guys are here, any of you guys in the room today. There are a couple of you are. They're amazing, very, very smart, very bright, and the future's bright. But let me just say, as a guy who uh, our church is going to be 12 years old on Easter, um, and we started whatever the right way to start a church is, we did the other thing. You know what I'm saying? We did the other thing. And um, I, so I know a lot of churches that have started here. I know a lot of guys that have started here. And what happens and what is happening here at City Hills is not ordinary at all. Uh, most churches that start and, and are in portable mobile situations like you are can never break 200 people, no matter how old they are. And the fact that you guys blew past that in year one and are way beyond that now is just a testament to God's goodness, God's favor, God's faithfulness and to the excellent leadership of your pastors and all of your team that's here. So congrats to all of you guys. It's amazing what God's doing here, man. It is amazing. And so we're in a series called Relationship Goals, as you saw there in the uh, opening package. And so we're talking about goals that we would love to have, not only as married people, but just any relationship that we have. And that is that we want to be Christ-centered. We want to be mission-driven. And we want to be devil-kicking. If you missed last week, Pastor Mitch... I uh, just flat out killed it. I, I got to check in on all of that. And uh, I, I believe I believe that last week's message has the potential, the potency um, to literally help you course correct in a, in a, in a relationship or, or perhaps even to save. This is how much I believe in what he said to save a relationship. So if you miss that, please go back wherever you get your podcast. Uh, go go uh, to the website and, and go watch that. Go listen to that. However you do that. Um, go check that out. I promise you it will be worth uh, your time. And, uh, and also, if today is your first time here, thank you so much for being at City Hills. And please do yourself a favor. Next week, Pastor Mitch will be right back here. And he is one of the great speakers, one of the most dynamic speakers. People want him to come speak at their churches all the time. You don't want to miss Pastor Mitch. Uh, you, will, you will be so glad you did if you come back next week. Just bear with us today and be, be, be back next week. It'll be awesome, I promise you. Um, today we're going to finish with our last relational goal, and today we're talking about covenant keeping. You know, two people say, I do, and a marriage is born. A group of men hundreds of years ago signed a piece of paper, which we call the Declaration of Independence, and at the end of it, they, they finish with these words. We mutually pledge to, uh, to each other our lives, our fortunes. Our sacred honor and a nation was born. A father and a mother stand at an altar, and you guys do this here, holding a little baby in their arms, and they say, we will raise this child in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord, and a family is born. A witness puts his hand or her hand on a Bible. A business person puts her name 
on a contract. A friend vows to keep a secret that another friend has entrusted with them and shared in confidence. And this is the truth about us as human beings is that we are promise-making people. Marriages and families and friendships and businesses and, and churches and, and nations are built on promises. And the truth about us is that we are promise-making people. But there's another truth about us, and that is that we are promise-breaking people. Um, and we say, I'll be there, and sometimes we're not. And we say, you, you can count on me, and, and, and sometimes we, we can't. And, and, and we pledge fealty or, or loyalty, and, 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 and sometimes we toss it aside for the sake of convenience or, or to avoid some sort of pain. And we say, I'll never tell, and sometimes we do. And children learn this very early on. Um, I'm, I'm 48 years old. And we used to have this saying when I was a kid. I don't know if it's still a thing. Probably it's not. Um, unless it's on Google, it's probably not a thing nowadays. But, but if you've ever been around little kids, you know they try to make sure that people keep um, and honor their commitments. And so if an offer gets made to be sure that it's going to be kept, they'll say, they, at least we used to, promise, right? And then, and then just, just in case that's not enough because it's unthinkable to a kid that an adult wouldn't keep his promise. But if that's not enough, they're like, cross your heart. Right. And, and, and if that's not enough, cross your heart and hope to die. Come on. You all know what I'm talking about. You remember this one? Hope to die. Like like you think that'd be serious enough because it doesn't get more serious than hope to die. But then they finish cross your heart, hope to die, stick a needle in your eye. Like how vile and vul- like violent is that? Who taught us that? Come on. Some sick man or woman taught us this. Um, and at the heart of a relationships. It's promise-making and, and promise-keeping, and I'll be there, or I do, or you can count on me, or it will be done. Now, the Bible has a word around this whole business of promise-keeping and promise-making, and it's this word covenant. And a covenant is, is a solid vow. Like, it's a, it's a solid vow. It's a sacred pledge. It's, a, it's an expression of, of heart and soul. It shall be so. And, and living out in covenant in our relationships should most definitely be one of our relationships goal, relationship goals. But frankly, in, in our world, in our culture, um, we don't always understand covenantal relationships. We we, we, we understand casual relationships when we're teenagers, when we're young adults. Um, we have lots and lots and lots of relationships, romantic speaking re- uh, relationships. And, you know, it's like, ah, that worked for me for a while. And it's like a toothbrush. Ah, it's kind of old and worn out. I'm going to toss it away. And, 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 and sorry to reference it like that, but that's kind of how it goes. And, and they go through one after another after another, and it's just casual. It's not a big deal. It's not really sacred. Well, oftentimes, we'll, we'll, we'll enter into relationships that are contractual. And, and a lot of times, frankly, uh, after 27 years of ministry, I'm telling you, there's a lot of marriages that end up contractual, meaning we're, we're more business partners than we are sort of soulmates. But, but what does a contract do? It limits uh, responsibilities. It defines responsibilities. So if we enter into a marriage and, we, and, and it becomes contractual, business-like along the way, it's like we have a deal. And as long as you keep your end of the bargain, then I'll keep mine. And, and the moment that you don't do or you don't say or you don't act or you don't, you don't look, whatever it is, uh, I feel like you've broken the contract and I'm free to go. And the, and the reason that we sign contracts, think about a contract, first of all. A contract is based on mutual distrust, 
right? Why else do you sign it? Back in the day, you shook hands, you high-fived, you hugged it out, you, hu- you did a bro hug, whatever, and it's like, my word is good. But now we have contracts, and we have for a long time, obviously. But it's based on mutual distrust. But a covenant is different than all of those types of relationships. It's based on mutual trust. I'll be there. You can count on me. I won't break my promise. It's an unconditional commitment motivated by sacrificial love for another person. Sacrificial love. So Jesus one time in Matthew's gospel, Matthew chapter 19, I want to show you this. He's having a conversation with some religious leaders, some Pharisees, and these Pharisees were always trying to trap him in his words. And so here's what he says. Some Pharisees came to him to to test him. And they ask him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? And they're they're trying to trap him. There's a law of Moses which dictated that you could issue a decree of divorce. And so they're trying to trap him in his words here. And he says, haven't you read that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother. And some of you have older kids now and you're like, hey, kids, pay attention to this now. I've been paying you for 20 years now. Move along now. Anyways. That's very graceful and loving, wasn't it, kind? Um, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So God is a God who, from the very beginning, unites people. And what God unites, now pay attention here, what God unites, our spiritual enemy, the devil, wants to come along and divide. And this isn't just true of marriages. This is true about churches. But the Bible says that the Son of Man goes out and, and spreads seeds, and, and he sows seeds of wheat, and, and, and he says right behind him, the enemy comes and sows weeds. And this happens over and over again in marriages and in countries and in, and, 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 and in cities and in, and, in, and in churches. The enemy wants to divide what God has united. And, and, and so it's this very concept, this notion of covenant, that there's this prophet who is a little lesser known, probably, if you're not very familiar with the Bible, you may have never heard of the prophet Malachi. He writes a little book, and the, and the book is really about raising the standard of excellence as it re- relates to spirituality and, and, and money and, and relationships. And his second, the second chapter, he's really devoted to relationships, and he says it's covenant that is the heart of of, of, of relational excellence, if I can say it that way. And, and Malachi not only says that, 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 that covenant is a relational goal, but that God is the standard for how we learn about covenants. So, so if you go back to the beginning, the Bible says that God created human beings and he makes a, a covenant with them. He promises to give them life and breath and, and food and and intimacy and meaningful work and, and to care for them. In turn, he asks them to be committed to him. To promise to obey. Listen, a single command. Like he says, you're free to do anything you want in this garden. You're free to eat anything you want. But listen, don't touch this one. And, 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 and they don't do this. They, they, they break faith. They break covenant with God almost immediately out of the gates. And this is a critical point in human history. What will God do? What will he respond to? Will, will he turn his back on Adam and Eve and, and these this sort of disobedient children? And the truth is, no, he doesn't. Amazingly, he actually makes a brand new promise to them at the very beginning of the book in Genesis that, that one day from their seed will, 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 will redeem. There was somebody coming to redeem men and women from the evil one, from the curse that is, that is put upon them in this moment. And God promises to continue to care for them, and, and he makes clothes for them. But the bad news is that human beings don't get any better. 
They don't get any more faithful. The Bible says that the earth continued to, to devolve and become corrupt and, and full of violence. And so God finally sends a flood to wipe out the destruction. But there was one man. A man named Noah, and if you know the Bible, then you know the story, who, who followed God. And so God saves Noah and his family in an ark. But after the flood, God comes to Noah and says, hey, listen, I'm going to establish a covenant. He had already established a covenant with Adam. I'm going to establish a covenant with you, with your descendants, with every living creature on the earth. I'm never going to destroy the earth again uh, with water. And there's going to be a sign of our covenant. And he says it's going to be called the rainbow. And Noah's like, sweet, rainbow, you know. And, and, and I'm, I'm going to keep my vow. When you see that rainbow, it's to, it's to remind you of, of my vow. But the, the human race is very slow uh, to learn. And it was filled with corruption and violence. But God doesn't forget his promise that he made. and He refuses to give up. And so he comes to a man named Abram. And God says, Abram, I'm going to make a covenant with you. I'm going to make a promise. You're going to be called Abraham, which means the father of many peoples. And I know it's hard to believe even if when you read this, but it's true. Abraham was 99 years old when he became the father of the promised child, Isaac. And Sarah, he, God says, your wife, she's 89 and the two of you are going to have a baby, and you won't, you won't have a single tooth between the three of you, right? You're going to be the only family at Target shopping for Depends and Pampers all at the same time. Come on, somebody. Yeah, it's funny. I don't care who you are, right? But, but you're going to be the father of a great nation, and I will give you a sign of the covenant that I'm making with you, and it's called circumcision. And Abraham is like, well, how come Noah got a rainbow? Can I, can I just have a rainbow? Can we just trim our beards or something? But, but maybe God is like, I, I don't want to, I want you to, I want you to know how serious I am, not to treat it so casually. And, and kids, if you don't know what that means, ask your parents after church is over today. You're welcome, moms. Um, and Abraham said, like, you know, all right, in spite of all this, the people were not faithful and they did not carry out God's promise and God's dream for human community and, and relationships. And they were rebellious and they broke their word and still God would not give up on his promise. And God is, is an excellent covenant maker for three reasons, I think, just quickly. Number one, God is, he never enters a covenant without first thinking about it. He doesn't rush into it. He never stops. Once he makes the covenant, number two, he never goes back on his word. This is so important for us because this is who we learn about covenant from. And it doesn't matter what the cost is to him personally. He will never go back on his words. And last, he is unswervingly faithful. Even though the people he commits himself to, he, he commits himself to covenant with, are notorious promise breakers. If you go look at through the Bible from the very beginning in Adam and Eve's case and all the way through, you find very few examples of people who are able to keep good covenants. They, they would blow it over and again with it when it comes to relationships and, and marriages. Adam and Eve First couple, right? They're married. It's like everything's awesome. And the next thing you know, they make a mistake and they start blaming each other and blaming each other for, for who's wrong. And then their sons, their first two sons are amazing, right? Cain, who's jealous of his brother Abel, he, he actually kills his brother, right? Strong start to the human family, right? And then there's Noah. The Bible says the most righteous man of his generation. But at the end of the story, he gets drunk and gets naked in front of his kids. Anybody see that puppet show in Sunday school? Like little naked Noah, yeah, I didn't see that one either. 
Then there's Lot, right, who, who, who when his home is surrounded by the residents of Sodom, uh, who want to violate his visitors, these two men that have come to visit him, Lot instead offers to let them have his daughters and to be violated. And, and if that weren't bad enough, later on his daughters get Lot pregnant. And, and, and Lot, Lot didn't get pregnant. Lot gets drunk. I'm, I'm hungry already. Anybody hungry with me right now? Lot gets drunk, and he gets them pregnant. And, of course, this is why you don't see Lot on a lot of Father's Day cards, because he just wasn't, he wasn't a good father. Um, Sorry, bad dad joke. Um, Malachi comes along and says God's standard of excellence when it comes to covenant keeping has some very, very serious implications for you and me. And the core statement of the second chapter, which is about relational covenants and and, and excellence in the book of Malachi, he says this in Malachi 2.10. He says, have we not, do we not all have one father? Did not one God create us? Well, then why do we profane the covenant of our ancestors by being unfaithful to one another? Why do we blow off the, the covenant that God made with our ancestors? And, and, and notice, he's not saying you broke faith with God. He's saying you broke faith with one another. And you've broken the covenant that, that Abraham made with God by breaking faith with one another. Why, why do we profane the covenant, which is so important to God, by breaking faith with one another, husband to wife? parent to child or child to parent, friend to friend. So so I want to spend the time that's remaining in the message by looking at two key covenantal relationships in human life. And and if you need to, because I know I do, I want to challenge you this morning to raise the bar in your relationships, to pursue God's standard of covenant keeping, to honor your commitment, to honor your word. Now, the single area that Malachi spends the most time is, is, is in marriage. Listen to what he says. This is verse 13 of chapter 2. He says, Another thing that you do, you flood the Lord's altar with tears. You weep and you wail because he no longer looks with favor on your offerings or accepts them with pleasure from your hands. And in the NIV, it says this. I want to just read this part right here. He says, "Um, I've lost my way. You, You flood the Lord's altar with tears. You weep because your sacrifices aren't accepted. In other words, you're coming to worship and to pray to him, but you're frustrated because you don't feel like your worship is being received and your prayers aren't being answered and you're not getting what you want from God when you pray to him. So you weep about that. And he says in verse 14, you ask why. It's because the Lord is the witness between you and the wife of your youth. And you've been unfaithful to her, though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. Now, this is amazing because God says, I want you to understand something. Don't be under the illusion that your worship is acceptable to me just because you show up on Sunday, that your worship is acceptable to me and your prayers are being taken serious by me when the way you treat your spouse is unacceptable to me. Now, if you missed this, I just want to make sure you're clear that God says that the way you pray and worship is being affected, how it's received by me is being affected by how you treat other people. Like, I didn't put this in the notes, it's not on the screen, but Peter comes along writing about marriage relationships, and here's what he says, in the same way, husbands, you must give honor to your wives. Treat your wife with understanding as you live together. She may be weaker than you physically, but she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. And then this amazing line, treat her as you should so that your prayers will not be hindered. There's a correlation between how we treat other people 
and the effectiveness of our prayers to God. And God says that when you got married, if you're married, you didn't make a bargain. You you didn't make a transaction. It wasn't a casual thing. It wasn't a contractual thing. You made a vow. You made a promise. You made a covenant. And, And the violation of covenant is a serious deal in God's eyes. And many people in our day view marriage as a conditional transaction. You do what you do. I'll do what I do. And as long as we keep doing what we're supposed to do, uh, then we'll stay together. If I outgrow you, if I get a better offer, I'm free to leave. It's transactional as long as it works for me. Or in our day, it can even be kind of casual just because we've traded in and out of relationships all of our young adulthood and we don't think anything about it. But in God's eyes, marriage and relationships are based on covenant, based on promises, and those lead to a very different outcome. So I've been married 22 years now, happily married, I will say. I'm like the luckiest guy ever, and I know it. A lot of people come to me because my wife is much better looking than I am, much better looking than I am. They'll be like, bro, how did that happen? And I'm like, apparently my wit and charm? I don't know. Like, like, what are you trying to say to me right now? You know, it's kind of offensive right now. But here's what I've learned. Here's what I've learned 22 years is that, and this is not just true of marriage. This is true. We have a church now. It's going to be 12 years old in, on Easter this year. By the way, don't ever start a church. If you ever think about starting a church, don't start it on Easter. Anyways, that's a whole other problem, right? Um, and, but people go to me, Danny, like, I'm going to start a church. How, how, how do I... What's the big thing? And I'll just say, I say to them, like, however you're supposed to start a church, we did the other thing. And, 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 and the truth is that it's over these 12 years I look back and, and, and how we've gotten wherever we are right now, it's, it's God's grace for sure. God's grace is favor. And, and then it's, it's just a grind. Sometimes you have to grind when you don't feel like it. Sometimes you have to just keep going day after day, plotting, plugging in. And marriage seems to be like this romantic thing all the time. But how many of you know, don't raise your hand, but how many of you know there's sometimes that you just have to grind day in, day out through this season. And I would say that in spite of the fact that my wife is amazing, there were times when we had to just sort of grind through seasons and we had to trust God's grace in the process. And I want to just say to you real quick about God's grace. If you're in a season right now where you think, I don't know how much longer we can keep fighting uphill and grinding through this, just trust me that God's grace is enough for you. Wherever you're at, whatever part of your relationship you're in, there's grace enough for you if you'll just lean into God's grace. So if you're here this morning and you're married, you made a promise. How is that promise going? Richer, remember that? Richer, poorer, sickness, health, love, and cherish. You promised your heart, cross your heart, that you would offer yourself in self-giving love until death do us part. That you'd be a servant. You'd share what you have. You promised that you'd laugh together and cry together sometimes and, and dance together. You promise that when you fight, and everybody does, you'd fight fair, you'd fight clean, and you'd come through out of it on the other side. You promise that your love would sink deeper than, than crow's feet and laugh lines and, and receding hairlines and, and bulging waistlines. And fellas, stuff happens to us, you, you know what I'm saying, as well. So, um, <laughs> sorry, I, I shouldn't have said that. I've lost some points today. Anyways, you, you didn't say I promise to do these things if you behave well, if you stay attractive, if you live up to my standards. You made a vow. And this is a relational goal, covenant keeping. How are you doing on your promises? And I, want, I just want to invite every couple. And this is something my wife and I do regularly. We schedule. It's on calendar to go hang out and talk through our thing. And sometimes... Sometimes it happens in walks. Yesterday we went for a walk and we spent uh, over an hour just walking and 
and we were just talking about our relationships. We were doing this, and I, I would just encourage you, if that's not part of the, of the rhythm of your marriage, of your life, then you do that. How, how we, how, babe, how am I doing when it comes to the things that I promised you that I would do? Is, is there any area that you feel like I'm close to breaking faith with you? Am, am I serving you? Am I taking care of your needs? Do you feel beloved? Do you feel secure? Are, do you feel admired? Do you feel respected? Tell him, tell her, I'll never stop holding your hand. I'll always be there for you. I know it's tough right now, whatever the season is, you, but you can count on me. It's, it's worth your best. Amen, somebody? I, I, I want to finish. I know this has been a relationship series based on romantic relationships for the most part. But, but I want to finish, and I just felt like inspired to do this, and maybe it'll be relevant for somebody, and maybe it won't be for everybody, but I just want to do it anyway. There's another covenant, a, a covenantal relationship in, in, that's all throughout the Bible, and it's the one between parents and their children. You know, on a wedding day, you make promises out loud in front of people, God and witnesses and that, that whole bit. But, but when a child arrives, you didn't make any promises to get them. They just show up. Come on, somebody. You know what I'm talking about? They just show up. But there's a covenant there that's implied. They come with little promises attached that are supposed to be filled by parents. I'm the dad of two girls, hashtag girl dad. Any girl dads in the room today? You guys need to start having some girls. The first service, there's one dude in there. Maybe nobody. Thank you. Waving your hands. Thank you very much, girl dads. Um, my girls are 16 and 13, and I'm in a terrifying season of life. You know why it's terrifying? Because I was a boy. I'm a man now, I hope. But I was a boy at that time, and I know what was going through my mind, through my body, through my mind, my mind, my mind, um, when it related to young, pretty girls, and, 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 and you reap what you sow. Come on, somebody, you know, and I lead the nation in reaping what I sow. Anybody know what I'm talking about? It's like, bam, you reap what you sow right away, and so I'm terrified about all of this, and, but I think about the kind of dad that I want to be, and, and I went away for a couple of days here recently just to kind of think and to just, just to sort of meditate on my life and the parts of my life that really matter most to me. And, and, and I think about the kind of dad I want to be. I want to create magic moments for my girls. And I want, to, I, want, I want to fill their hearts with life and joy. And I want them to blossom. And I want them to flourish in the way that God designed them to. And I want them to know, man, to the core of their bones, that they are loved by me. So I want to protect them. I want, to know, I want them to know that I'll be there for them no matter what, that I'll love you no matter what, and I'll equip you for life, and I'll feed you, and I'll read to you, and I'll teach you how to ride a bike. My 13-year-old still doesn't want to ride a bike. I've failed her miserably on that one. I'll teach you about friends, about work, about, about love. I'll teach you what I know about men and women, all that I know about money. I'll teach you what's right. I'll teach you what's wrong. I'll teach you about God. I'll teach you how to pray. And, and when the time comes, I'll, I'll let you go. No strings attached. That's the kind of dad I want to be. But, but when I'm honest, sometimes I'm hurried and I'm stressed and I'm preoccupied and sometimes I'm uncertain and I don't know what the next right move is with my girls. Um, and sometimes I'm just lazy relationally and sometimes I'm blind to what's in front of me, the gift of my daughters. And sometimes I blow it and I cross lines and when, when, when I've done that in the past, whether it was by shaming or yelling or saying the right thing, but saying it in the wrong way, in a way that crushes their hearts rather than lifting and empowering them, 
I, I learned because I didn't see this model. I had great parents, but I did not see this model. I go and I get on my knees and tell them I'm sorry. And I did this actually, honestly, on Friday, uh, riding in the car with them. We've been building this building, and it's the single most stressful thing I've ever done. And and those of you who've built houses, you know, it's always more expensive than they say. It always takes longer than they say. And it's just, it's stressful. And and so I just repented to them. I said, girls, I don't think I've done as good as being a dad over the past four or five months as I want to be. I've been tired. I've been stressed. And there's probably some moments that I've taken out on you. And they're like, no, dad, you know, you're great. And I was like, no, babes, I know, I know that I haven't been all that I want to do. And, 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 and be and, and the, the truth is, is I want my kids to know that no matter who you are, no matter what position you hold in the world, whether, no matter what your authority level is, that when you get it wrong, you have to say you're sorry. Like I, I want them to know that I'm and I understand that I don't lose moral authority by saying I'm sorry to my girls. I think I actually gain it by being honest because they know when I blow it. And when I own it, I think it matters to them in a way. And, 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 and I, I, have, I have some friends, two friends that have raised girls um, successfully. And so that I reach out to them a lot and, and I talk to them about, hey, man, I don't know what I'm doing in this spot right here. By the way, the best piece of advice I can give you in parenting is to find somebody who's ahead of you in the game and who's done it well and just constantly text them and ask them, dude, what do I do right here, right now? And these guys have been there for me over and over and again. And, and, and as a parent, I'll speak for parents. If you're a kid in the room, whether you're young or a young adult or a teenager, um, as a parent, we always want what's best for you. We, we don't always get it right. We don't always say the right things, but your parents want what is best for you, just like I want for my girls. And sometimes, truthfully, we, we don't always get it right, but truthfully, neither do you. Um, sometimes in your quest and your struggle for freedom and for independence, you fight our best. But quite honestly, flawed efforts at helping you get there where you want to go. And sometimes you make, we make you crazy, but sometimes you make us crazy. Uh, amen. Um, and, and you say things you shouldn't, uh, just like we say things we shouldn't. And you make threats, and sometimes you cuss. And in my house, if that happens, it hasn't. But my parents washed my mouth out with soap, and I'm, I'm all in favor of just jamming bars of soap in there. Anybody with me? I don't, it's, I don't know if that's a crime or what. I don't, I don't know, but it didn't hurt me. It tasted bad, but it didn't hurt me. Anyways. Sometimes you throw things and throw fits and slam doors and peel out, peel out of driveways. And, and, and truth is, and we're just being honest here, and while we fail you, sometimes you fail us too. And sometimes we're not always, we don't always get it right, but sometimes that's true of you as well. But the thing is, the thing is, we're in covenant, you and us. And so we have a no matter what clause attached to our relationship. You know, when your parents entered parenthood i'm talking to the kids for a moment they took a a no matter what clause and you only get released from this clause when one of you dies and this is why this covenant is so much like god's covenant with us it never ends no matter what and it works both ways could i get an amen somebody parents how are you doing with this promise are you devoting enough time Do you cherish your child's dreams for themselves and not just inflict your dreams for them on them? Are you providing enough toughness, enough discipline? And when it means you're going, even when it means you're going to be unpopular, and I'm in that season right now where I have to say, no, I don't care what your friends, parents let them do. I don't care what your friends are doing. In our house, we're going to do it this way. And that makes me unpopular, but I'm willing to to do that. 
because the other option is to look the other way and to let them do what they think is best, but they don't know what is best yet. They don't know what is best yet. Even if they're smart and sophisticated and gifted beyond imagination, they still don't know what's best yet. They haven't got the wisdom and the experience that you've gained the hard way. Some people gotta learn hard way. Any uh, DC Talk fans in the house? Anyways, do you ever say you'll do something and you don't even really mean it just to get them off your back, parents? Are you teaching them to be covenant keepers? Because that's where they learn this from, is from you and from me. That's the parent-child covenant, and there's a no-matter-what clause attached to it in a way that is different than all of the other relationships. I want to give you three words about this covenant, and these apply no matter what your relationship is. The number one is, is value. That, we, that we, we value the time that we have with our kids. And kids, listen, this works both ways. You value the time that you have with your parents because one day you're going to grow up and the bills are going to be yours, all yours. And then you're going to be like, Mom, where are you? You know, and you're going to, I remember, I remember the season of my life where I thought my dad wasn't very bright anymore. And then I hit 21 and I was like, he's the smartest man that ever lived. Sorry for the stink face or whatever I was doing right there. I, I, I've, got a, I've got a girl that's going to be a senior next year. And I can't believe it. You know, when people would tell me when I was younger, hey, the love on those kids right now, they're going to be gone before you know it. I'd be like, nah, you're just old. You know what I'm saying? And now I'm old. And I'm like, oh, wow. How did that happen? <clears throat> I got to tell you, I'm not going to let anything come in between me and that girl. I value every moment with her, even the moments where I have to take her to school in the morning when I would rather be going to work at this point, uh, and, and every ride that I have to go and pick her back up because she refuses to learn how to drive. Come on, somebody. It's not that she refuses. It's that she's just really bad at it. She's not here today, so I'm going to just throw her under the bus. But I value these moments, and I'm grateful for them, and I want to make the most of them, and I want to be fully present when I'm there. The second word is the word Protect. Talking about this covenant of parents and kids. You protect your relationship with kids. You keep the lines of communication open. And I learned this from my buddy Kevin Gary, who lives in Houston, Texas. He's raised three girls. They're all grown up now. And he said, Danny, don't fight battles. That to, don't fight to win battles that might cost you the war. Not, not every hill is worth dying for. And it was so important for me to hear that because I felt like I always had to be in training mode, always have to be coaching mode, coaching, coaching, coaching. And, and it, would, it would lead to some, some head butts, not, not physically, just FYI, with my, my oldest daughter who's very, very strong-willed, and I love her for that. And I learned that it's so important for me to protect the communication with my daughter and that I'm the adult and it's up to me to be the adult sometimes when I want to really just be the kid and fight it out with her verbally, right? Just FYI, I just want to clarify. Because if you don't value, if you don't protect, then you end up with this last word, which I think is such an important word, which is restore. And honestly, there have been times when I was so preoccupied with my stuff that I didn't value my relationship with my girl's in the time that I have, that short time I have with them. As a result, I didn't protect them, my relationship with them. And for a while, a little bit last year, sophomore year, my relationship with my eldest got a little dinged up because we just were constantly kind of going at it because I was a child, apparently. But God woke me up and my wife reminded me of the little time that I have and my friends encouraged me. 
And I'm reminding myself even today that nothing I'm doing, not even the God things that I'm doing, not the church that I'm trying to build is more important than being a good dad to my daughters. That that's my legacy, not, not LifePoint Church. That, those girls are my legacy. And I just got this one shot at it. And I want to get it right. So, kids, parents, if there's been some damage, please, please, you may never see me again, I don't know. Please, go back and fight to restore your relationships. Maybe you made a mistake. You broke your word. You broke your promises. You broke faith with somebody. And now maybe the relationship is damaged. Malachi would say that we need to repent and we need to restore. Some of us need to apologize. And that takes getting over our pride, getting over our self. Some of us need to forgive the people who've wronged us, even if that's mom, even if that's dad, we need to forgive. Go, go back and do whatever it takes to restore the relationship. You don't want to go through life with a bunch of regrets. 27 years into ministry now, and I have to talk to people who have decided that they don't want a relationship with their parents anymore. And there's a parent out there who's dying a little bit on the inside, and maybe they blew it. And I was thinking, why don't you just go back and ask them to forgive you? Or why don't you just go back and ask them to just to try to make it right? Why don't you write a letter? Why don't you pick up the phone call? But so much of the time, it's pride. It's self-centeredness. It's she should be doing it first. She's the parent. Why isn't she? Why isn't he? And I'm just saying, whatever it takes, whatever it costs, restore. Because this covenant thing is so important to God, and he wants it to become so important to us. And Malachi ends this passage of this, of this part of his book with these words. He says, guard yourself in your spirit and do not break faith. Guard yourself in the spirit. Pay attention to the pride that's getting in the way. Pay attention to the selfishness that's getting in the way. Pay attention to the arrogance that wants to come in. Pay attention to the, the spiritual adversary who wants to divide your family, divide your marriage, divide your relationships with your friends and with your kids. Pay attention and do not break faith, no matter what anybody else does. It doesn't matter. I mean, respond with wisdom and discernment, and sometimes it means confrontation, but Malachi says, guard your spirit, you don't break faith. And I was thinking about, imagine if all of us here at City Hills were to be first-class covenant keepers. Imagine what kind of families we would have. Imagine if day in and day out we were covenant-keeping moms and covenant-keeping dads and covenant-keeping husbands and covenant-keeping wives and covenant-keeping friends who valued and who protected and, if need be, who would fight for restoration Cross my heart, I promise to do my best. Imagine how, how healthy and whole we would be, and I'm sure you are healthy and whole, but if, if in our friendships and in our small groups that we're a part of, if they were marked by loyalty and, and truth-telling and, and caring and bearing one another's burdens. So I'm going to ask you, will you dare to let God set the standard in your relational lives, whatever the dynamic is? Would you become an excellent Keeper of covenant, would you, would you move from just having average relationships to, with friends and family to having excellent relationships? Could that be a relational goal? Will you try? Will you value? Will you protect? Will you restore? I, I want to finish just in the last moment here 
by going back to the faithfulness and the standard keeping, uh, the covenant keeping of God himself. And, and I just want to remind us, because one of the issues that I struggled with growing up, I grew up in a church that was deeply marked by legalism, and you kind of have to earn your way to God, and you have to kind of keep all of these rules if you're going to stay in right relationship with him. And, and I, think it's that, I think it's that lack of understanding of God's character that keeps us from having even successful relationships, not only with God, but with each other. Many of us think, well, when it comes to God, it's just a Sunday thing that I do, and it's a casual deal with God, and I do whatever I kind of want Monday through Saturday, and, and then I just ask him to forgive me. He's, he's bound to forgive me because he promised. It's sort of this casual approach to God. Some of us have this kind of a contractual relationship with God, and if I do my part, then he'll do his. But what happens is we don't always do our part, and so then we're afraid to go to him uh, in boldness, like, like we talked about earlier, in boldness, and, because we didn't do our part, and we think of it contractually. But the truth is, God is not casual. He is not contractual. His relationship with us is covenantal. And when all the Old Testament covenants he made with Adam and Noah and, and Abraham and others didn't work out because of the lack of faithfulness from God, God came to earth in Jesus Christ. And Jesus came to teach about the faithfulness of God. And on the night that he was, before he was going to die, he stood with his friends in a room that we call the upper room in a moment that we call the Last Supper. And he held in his hand a cup of wine and he said to his followers, this, this cup is the new covenant of my blood. It represents the new covenant of my blood. It's the same old promise as God, God's eternal promise of love and, and, and commitment and mercy and grace and forgiveness. But what's new about it now is that it's written in blood. It's written in the blood of Jesus because the cross is the ultimate expression of God's promises and God's love to his children. So God says, I will love you no matter what. Cross my heart and hope to die. And God, through Jesus, makes the ultimate sacrifice of covenantal love. I want a relationship with you and I will die in order to have it with you. And now the promise is, because of his resurrection, because of his death on the cross, that whoever calls on him and asks to be forgiven and asks to have a relationship with him is made brand new. And this is called the new covenant. And it's on offer in this room today. Amen, somebody. So I just want to pray with you before we close. Lord Jesus, would you bow your heads if you don't mind? Father, thank you for the excellent way in which you have proven to us time and time again throughout the ages that you are a God who keeps his promises. You are a God who keeps his covenant, that you set the standard for it with us. And we see this most purely through the cross of Jesus Christ where all sins are forgiven. Where because of the sacrifice you made, all people can come to know you and have a relationship with you. But the truth is maybe some of us haven't ever done that, God. Maybe we've never understood the excellent sacrifice that you made through Jesus on our behalf. The price that was by all rights ours to pay, but that you paid for us on our behalf. And so, Lord Jesus, we just thank you, God. 
We thank you for how you've done this. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for this moment. And God, we just invite you, Lord, to become, and some of you could just pray this along with me. We invite you to become Lord of our lives. God, in view of what you've done, the sacrifice on the cross, in view of what you've done for me, God, I believe that you not only died on a cross, but that you rose again on the third day to give life, to become the forgiver of my sins, to become the healer of my hurts and my habits and my hang-ups, to, to be the healer of my broken places, to be the, 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 the writer of all my wrongs. Lord, I choose you today to come into relationship with you. I want to follow you. I want you to be the Lord of my life. I want to follow you all the days of my life as you will help me. Well, while nobody's looking around, just for a moment, if, if you prayed that with me, would you just slip up your hands? I just want to see real quick. I want to see your hands. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Several hands. Thank you. God, you see every hand. You see every heart. You know, every promise that's being made. Lord, we will not be perfect. We will not get it right. But thank you for your grace that time after time you will come running after us and you will pursue us with love and grace. We thank you for that. And Lord Jesus, I want to pray lastly for every marriage here, for every parent here, for every child here. God, we don't always get this stuff right. But Lord, with grace, with your grace and with our grind that we just keep going day in, day out protecting and valuing and restoring, Lord. Help us, I pray. I pray blessings over every marriage, over every relationship. God, I pray for wisdom for parents. God, because frankly, we don't always know what to do, and we hate to admit that, but we don't always know what to do, but would you give us wisdom? And, and, and Lord, even, even maybe more importantly, would you put wise people in our lives that we can go to? Because wise people know what they don't know, and so they go to those who do know, and that's what makes them wise. Would you put wise people in our path, or in, our, in our groups, in our church, in our, in our friendship circles, and help us to get this right, I pray, in the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody says a good amen. Amen. Hey, can we clap to the Lord? Yeah, everybody, thank you so much for letting me be with you today. God bless you.